let's go ahead and get into it and start taking a look at our panelists today, starting off with a return from vacation, Steve Trang. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, Steve Trang, Real Estate Disruptors, uh, back after, you know, taking a two-week vacation and having to go off the air to do our, our live training event. Super excited to be back, super excited to hang out with my brothers. This is always the funnest part of the week for me, so I look forward to chopping up with these guys. So looking forward to a great show. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Steve. Next up, we have Leon G. Barnes. Go ahead and introduce yourself, boss. What's up, everyone? Leon G. Barnes, Director of Membership for the Collective Genius and Real Estate Investor. I am excited to be back here with the A-Team. Yes, I said it. Sorry, Eric. Sorry, Jimmy. This is the A-Team. Excited to get started. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Next up coming to us from Texas, we have RJ Bates. Talk to us. What's up, guys? Excited to be here. Host of the Titanium Vault podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. I nailed it. Uh, excited to be here. Just interviewed Leon G. Barnes yesterday. It's coming out next week. Be careful. Don't ever ask him what the G stands for because the entire <laughs> podcast is 51 minutes and all he did was answer that question. So excited to be here, though. Outstanding. <laughs> Cannot wait to tune into that one. Last but certainly not least, coming to us from Richmond, Virginia, we have Chris C.J. Jefferson. Talk to us, boss. Chris Jefferson, Richmond VA, uh, Charged Up University. I, I can't wait to just see this podcast because uh, it sounds like an informed conversation. So uh, really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. Good to be here, man. Shout out to uh, everybody in the U. Shout out to my daughter, Layla, who's watching. And uh, it's good to be here. Absolutely. It's good to be informed, is it not, CJ? All right. We're going to go ahead and start this one out. Uh, first question on deck today. Man, I kind of go back and forth. I think there's two different things you can do. You know, one could be, you know, if you just required all cash transactions to actually be cash, you know, actually use cash versus uh, hard money. Uh, but I think, you know, for the purposes of people that are watching this show, probably in the wholesaling space, I think what you could do is you could have a no reassigning transactions or at least no reassigning transactions in the last 14 days of a transaction because that seems to be the one that always kind of makes things kind of hectic. So I would say a no co-wholesaling no co within 14 days of closing their escrow because that's the one that always causes all kind of craziness uh, in our market. Man, so excited that Steve is back because he's always on the fence with every answer that he has. Couldn't give you one decisive answer. Uh, and I'm I'm shocked that Mr. Blockchain, Mr. Bitcoin uh, didn't give this as the answer, which is title searches. Uh, I am not a Bitcoin or blockchain guy. I rely on my, my boys, Steve Trang and Paul Sparks to keep me informed on that. But if there's anything that's ripe for disruption in real estate, it's title companies, title searches. Every state is a little bit different. Hell, Oklahoma is still on abstracts dating back to the 17, 1800s. So <laughs> if there's anything that's ripe uh, for disruption and would make things a 
lot easier is having a title search process on a blockchain that makes these things that much quicker and hopefully at one point get rid of this fraud that is called title insurance. Okay, all right. Personal. That felt really personal. That 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 did. There was a little. There was a little edge there. I like it, Leon. That, that was solid. All right, RJ. What are you implementing? So this feels like a question that's asked by a bunch of real estate investors slash realtors. Um, why do we really want to speed up this process? And is it something that's wanted by the vast majority of people that are involved in real estate transactions, like? the retail buyers and sellers. I don't know if it is. And if you even take it back to the core root of how did we come up with this question with the MLB pitch count, you now have Major League Baseball games being played just over two hours. The value there is is missing, where there's 45 minutes of commercial break, so they're barely getting over an hour of playing time, and it costs you over $200 for a family of four to go to a game. I think when you transition that to real estate, it's kind of the same thing. I don't know that I would want to speed up this process at all. And I never want to add rules to things because that's just anti who I am. So to me, I don't want to implement anything. I think that takes away investors' abilities to really navigate transactions. Weird sound coming through. I thought that was a fart sound because Potter didn't like my answer. I was like, wow, this is a new <laughs> sound effect. Again, nah, I, that's the, that's the new buzzer. Head? That's the so new I'm buzzer. I'm not implementing anything, though. I did no rules because uh, I like less rules. All right, fair enough. And yeah, they're working on additional sound effects for me, RJ. Don't worry, I'm going to test them all out on you, bro. <laughs> all right, CJ, what are you implementing? I think Leon was on the on the right track. I think here's the easiest thing that could happen to speed up transactions. We're always talking about wholesaling being regulated. I think title companies need regulation ASAP. All right. Uh, here's something that they could do to help us all out across the entire industry, whether it's investors or retail buyers. Why the hell do title companies or title agents only pick up the file a day or two before closing to take a look at the title search to try to determine what liens are on the property, what encumbrances are on the property? And then closings get kicked out every single day because somebody was lazy and didn't want to take a look at the title search when it came in after seven or 10 days when it was requested. So I think uh, an easy way to speed up transactions is to require title companies immediately when a title report comes back to review the title for the file, let everybody know any issues that are perceived to occur prior to closing so not happening at the very last minute and slowing down people's transactions. So here's the funny thing that I feel about this is is that we're talking about speeding up transactions but we're all investors here and one of the things that we talk about openly when we're trying to close the seller is is you could close faster with us because we're cash so do we really want those retail closings to be able to close faster that's a fantastic question i mean i think really the biggest thing is you know we talk about we can close fast with cash most homeowners not most, but a good chunk of them freak out when we say we can close faster in 30 days. They're like, I can't get all my stuff out of here in 30 days. Why do we have to close so fast? So I think to your point uh, earlier, RJ, I think that's a great, great point. And then, uh, Leon, you know, you're, you bring it up a great point as well. As far as like, I didn't come up with the, you know, the, the blockchain component. One of the things that we have in Phoenix, we are so fortunate and blessed. If you have clean title, we can close in a day. 
I've done that, right? Mm-hmm. I had funds at title and clean title within 24 hours of a motivated homeowner reaching out to me, right? So that's the reason why I didn't come up with it. However, at the same time, you also brought up Oklahoma. We went to Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and man, talk about shock. Like, mm-hmm. why does it take three months to clear a freaking title aspect? What the hell are you talking about? So, yeah, I, I'm looking at it from a local perspective. I'm not looking at it at a national perspective. So that to your question, RJ, I think in a traditional real estate transaction, they're still going to take more time than what we would traditionally close in with a cash purchase just because you have the underwriting of the lender on that side. So even if it's sped up, it's not going to be sped up to the time frame in which we can purchase from a cash standpoint. And I think if this goes to, we have this technology available for a lot of things. It exists for automobiles. It exists for a lot of different things that we deal with on a daily basis. Someone pushes a button and knows that the title is clean, but every state regulates it a little bit differently. And it's just, I'm not saying that it, it keeps us from doing uh, our jobs and what we're great at, which is closing on time and quick. But to CJ's point, you know, you have to develop, if you're an investor, you have to develop that relationship with the title company. Because if you don't, and you want to close within a seven-day window, to CJ's point, they will not check, 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 uh, check that file until the day before that closing. So you have to build that relationship. If you change that, now everything is uniform and you no longer have those yeah. And I think speed is just speed to convenience, right? Like convenience to all parties involved. If you've got a buyer and a seller, whether it's retail, whether it's investment, to me, it's just about speeding up for convenience. If you've got somebody who's trying to sell a home and they 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 are on a contingency contract and they've got to sell this home before they can close on another home from a retail perspective, uh, and there's delays caused there for different reasons that could be eliminated uh, to make these transactions much smoother for everybody involved. I think that's really the intent of the question about, you know, can we speed up these transactions and regulate title companies, stop messing up people. Yeah. So I will speak on that part, CJ. I think you're absolutely insane about regulating title companies. So um, <laughs> they they are already very, very heavily regulated. Um, so there's a ton of regulations uh, on a national level, and there's even additional regulations on a, on a local level, at least in Arizona, right? Like uh, the... Um, the Department of Financials, uh, I can't remember, the Department AZDFI. Department of Financial Institutions. Department of Financial Institutions, right? Closely regulates the the title insurance companies. But as far as the, the, the they're not picking up the file until the CDs prior to close, there's a couple different things happening here, right? One is, you know, there's a constant triage and all businesses go through it. Title companies may be the worst at it, but there's all sorts of triage, like which file do I work on first? And on the inside, I can share with you, retail transactions take priority over wholesale transactions. And people that are doing 10 deals a month get priority over guys that are doing one deal a quarter. Right? Sure, so would, if would you're you, running into you, it, go ahead. Would you agree, though, that a lot of these title companies and, and, and attorney offices that primarily focus on real estate, right? They become essentially production houses where they're trying mm-hmm. to churn and burn every single month for $500 to $700. And they're trying to crank through as many files as possible. Absolutely. That's because that's happening. how they generate and produce revenue. Yep. All right, we lost CJ there. Here's the other thing too. I, I, this is what I learned in expanding to New Mexico. Here, when we were in New Mexico, it was pretty clear service is not a priority because there's not a ton of competition. In Phoenix, where there's a ton of options, service right. is a priority, 
right? Like they want to earn your business. But man, when we were in New Mexico, it was like, hey, we need to get this taken care of. I said, like, yeah, you know, we'll we'll look at it in two or three days. Like, no, 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 we're closing in five days. Like, yeah, I know. We'll look at it in two or three days. All right, all right. we're going to go ahead and wrap that one up. Um, hopefully we get CJ back sooner or later. It doesn't matter. He's not getting the point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... On that on that round, um, hey, hey, <laughs> he's back. Um, on that on that round, just because I love the fact that he tied it back to the original reason on it, I'm gonna go ahead and give this one to RJ from the aspect of I like less rules um, in the in the real estate thing. I'm not disagreeing on I'm not disagreeing on title companies. But to Steve's point as well, they're super regulated as it is. And yes, they are nothing more than a, they're just a, they're a money factory. That's all that they're here for. All right. Next up, we have, how will real estate be affected by the recent OPEC announcement of slashing oil production by 2 million uh, barrels, which is increasing our gas prices? Go ahead and start us off, RJ. Yeah, I remember the days back when I worked at Pizza Hut and I really wasn't making a lot of money. And the, that was right when gas prices really shot up for the first time in my lifetime. And the impact that it had on me financially was astronomical. I mean, it, it essentially put me in the poorhouse. And I, I think that's what's going to happen here is, is this is going to impact cost of food, the cost of clothing, the cost of household goods. And that's going to impact the lowest income families first, aka that's our first time home buyers. And I think that's where we're going to see this hurt uh, our, our, the real estate market and our economy is, is that the people that otherwise would be able to afford buying a house for the first time are not going to be able to do it because everything is exponentially going to become more expensive. All right, CJ, weigh in. What are your thoughts on OPEC? Yeah, I mean, I think RJ's in line. At the end of the day, uh, gas drives our entire economy. Uh, you know, everything comes from manufacturing, transportation, things of this nature. And it's just trickle-down economics. When businesses, especially small businesses, have to hand these costs down uh, into the workforce by raising prices on goods and services, to RJ's point, when he used to uh, hustle pizzas and, and not get tips, dropping pizzas off at people's houses. Uh, people aren't going to be able to afford to live, man. I mean, we're getting into this extreme danger zone where you've had people for years that argue that they don't want minimum wage raised. They don't want wages raised. Uh, but now people are getting to this, this gap in, in living where they can't afford it. And so what's going to start to happen is the economy and real estate as a whole, I think will drop as a result as these things continue to hit, hit the market and hit the economy. Uh, because people don't have discretionary income. People don't have income to be able to pay for uh, rising rent prices, rising home prices. Uh... Apparently the Lord's out here doing my job right now. All right. We'll see you in a minute, CJ. All right, Steve, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think going back to what I already said a moment ago, like when price of gas goes up, everything else goes up, right? Labor has to use gas, right? Lumber, all materials, everything just becomes more expensive. And what's this? Th what's always unfortunate is that everything gets more expensive when gas prices go up, but nothing gets cheaper when gas prices go down. So it just continually just gets more expensive. Everything just gets more expensive over time. 
So with all that being said, right, the cost of building a house is just going to increase. The cost of remodeling a house is just going to increase. So all that's going to happen is it's going to increase the value of the home, not because the house is more valuable, but just because everything is more expensive by nature, the houses would be more expensive. It's going to affect affordability. It's going to affect the, the, the what people can qualify for. But I don't think it's going to cost the price of houses going to go down. I think it's going to cost cause the value of the prices of the homes to go up. Good point. It's conditioning. All right, Leon, what are your thoughts? I agree with everything that they said, but I do have um, a comment that's a little bit different because we've been talking about this um goodness, for months of everything going up and how it affects first-time home buyers for sure. But my perspective from working with 300 real estate investors across the United States, I think may be a little bit different here because I'm starting to think, and the question was foreseeable future, which I translate to this year, later this year, maybe first of next year. Um, last year, when we saw the, the market shift, because we're trying to uh, get inflation down, it remains high. Interest rates are between 6 and 8% on 30-year fix. And Q3 and Q4 did slow down for real estate investors across the U.S. last year. But everyone in our community right now is saying how much buyers have come back in Q1 of this year. So I'm from a foreseeable future I, I'm not seeing that impact that we've been talking about on this show for the last year now, specifically on how it affects real estate. I just haven't seen. Doesn't mean CJ and I have talked about this a lot. Doesn't mean that it won't affect it down the line in the next couple of years. But right now, I'm not seeing any immediate impacts as buyers are back to buying in real estate because inventory is still low. Is still moving at a very high volume. Leon, that's what's going to happen in May. The The gas prices are going to go up. And anytime the gas prices go up, what else goes up? Interest rates. They're going to jack the interest rates up even higher. They're going to force the issue here. They're going to make it where they're going to slow things down. And to Steve's point, when gas prices go up, what else goes up? Everything else. So this... this this reaction right here is going to double down on what they're trying to slow down with the interest rates. It's actually scary what could happen here because they're trying to slow down the inflation. But in reality, this is going to cause all the prices for everything to go up. So let, let's, let's have a conversation about that then. What do you see? We haven't seen double digit interest rates since the 1980s. What do you think it will go that high into the double digits for fixed 30 years? I sure as hell hope not, but I mean, with the way that we're going and it seems like every part of the disruption, we're talking about one more step getting us closer to that point. So yeah, I yeah. think so. Eventually, eventually the levy breaks, but I think, Leon, I think the other thing too, though, is right, like, are, are we, can we, can we not agree that the housing market is currently being affected? It's just not being affected at the average or lower home price. Right. I think if you take a look at the market and look at just hardcore data, I think the market right now is being affected above median home values in most markets across the country. Right now, I think well, I would most, agree with that. I think most people who have these perspectives on Facebook and Instagram and they, they talk about the economy and the market and this that and the third realtors, 
the majority of people's business is occurring under median value in most markets. And so, yes, in most markets, under median value, market is strong because everybody everybody trickles down. Every If you couldn't afford a $650,000 house last year, now that's a $350,000 house. All right. So now you're starting to compress into a median me, median market uh, for your for your area. And so that's why that segment of the market is still moving and things are still happening. That's literally the only reason is because people are continuing to drop down into it. But once these things start happening, the levy breaks, then it then it has widespread effect on everybody's income. Now you start to have significant issues across the board. Again, is it foreseeable future, you know, long term? I don't know that we've got that particular crystal ball, uh, but I, I think now it's time to brace for the hit a little bit uh, and make sure that you can absorb it when it comes. Now, there is the best point of this discussion is how does it affect us as real estate investors? It should affect us for all of us and anyone that's listening to this is that we have not hit rock bottom yet. If you were planning on taking in on that above median flip that was going to take you six figures to flip and maybe nine months to finish, you might think twice about that for the foreseeable future. Absolutely. 100%. All right. That was actually probably one of the most informed, respectfully done questions of all time. Um, I know that Jimmy V is not a huge fan of when I do this, but luckily for us, he's not on the show. I'm giving everybody a point on that round because you guys were just lights out. I am just feeling great about the collective future of this panel right here. Um, <laughs> next up, we're going to have a little fun with this one. We are, or we better, or I'm going to be really disappointed and take everybody's points away. <laughs> um, who is the most famous contact on your phone? Start us off, Steve. Man, I feel embarrassed to say this. You know, uh, going through and everything that we've gone through in the last few years. Um, it's I, okay, boy. I think the most famous person in my phone is Pace Morby, right? I mean, I think there's an element of, like, he's outgrown all of us. You know, it was a point where I was the real estate broker. He was my general contractor. I was referring him, like, these tiny bids for 700 bucks or 1200 bucks, and he was helping my clients. And... This entire relationship has changed. Like, man, now I call him. like, I hope he answers. Because, man, it's impossible to get that guy on the phone. So I think, you know, having an A&E TV show, having his, uh, his cult following and everything else, I think, I think at this point, he's probably the most famous person I have on my phone. All right, all right. Well, one for Pacer. All right, Leon, what about you? Who is the uh, most famous contact in the, uh, the Barnes phone? It's so funny that Steve said Pace because the first two people I thought of were Pace and Ryan Pineda because both of those guys have hit rocket ships with social media and their followings and the tribes that they have and it's well earned. They both deserve it. They've worked really hard. Um, so outside of this panel uh, and those two guys, um, you know, I, I've met a lot of famous people. Um, I've never asked them for their phone numbers because I think that would be kind of weird, quite frankly. Uh, I was this close to getting Shaq's number uh, one time uh, when meeting him in person. And unfortunately, I didn't get his number. But uh, I've been very blessed to meet some pretty famous people, maybe not famous to a lot of people in CG as keynote speakers. The most well-connected of all of our speakers is Mr. Jeff Huffman. 
Um, he happens to be in my phone. He's the one of the founders of Priceline, and we all have him to thank uh, for the digital ticket uh, that is offered at airline tickets. He invented that machine, the kiosk, uh, and so I've never met. I've met more NBA and NF, uh, NBA or and Major League Baseball players through him, um, and he's by far probably the most famous person in my phone. All right. RJ, what about you? Who do you have that's uh, famous in your phone? Yeah, you know, when I was thinking about my answer here, it's funny because famous is all depending upon who you're talking to. And and so my son plays hockey. And because of that, I actually have two Stanley Cup champion players, former players in my phone, Brad Lukowicz and Kevin Colley. To uh, the hockey community, the fact that you have a Stanley Cup champion's phone number is a big deal. To you guys, it's probably like, I mean, that's cool, but they're not famous. I don't even know their names. Um, they're not Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> on, uh, on a social media level, I mean, there's Ryan Pineda, Max Maxwell, Carlos Reyes. These people have millions of followers across. To some people, that's famous. And then on the TV side and also in the real estate, Pace and Jamil. So those, I really just think it depends on who you're talking to. Because to some people, Ryan Benita is nobody. To other people, it's like, holy cow, that's the guy with the pink hair. That's a big deal. I, I love how you gave the shout out for the pink hair there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even mad at that. That's, that's great right there. All right, CJ, we're dying to know whose digits do you got? Yeah, so I, since I went last, I, you know, I was sitting here and I was listening, and uh, I text my cousin who works at the Bowen plant up in Connecticut, and I said, "Yo, have you ever heard of Ryan Pineda and Pace Morby?" And he said, "Dude, who the hell is that?" Right? <laughs> so you know, in my phone, you know, I, look, the most famous person I guess in my phone is uh, two welterweight champion Andre Berto. Uh, I've been talking a lot with him here recently about real estate, real estate investing. He's doing some wholesaling, doing some investing in single families. Uh, we connected on Instagram a while back and, and have, have kind of just been chopping it up here and there about what he's doing in the business. And uh, so I'd say he's probably the most famous uh, person in my phone for sure. You know, now that we all brought right. up with the, all these other examples, I would say when I hang out with Kong Lee, Wholesale the Millions, he is Gary V famous. Like Yes, I, when, I forgot when, about Kong. When I'm like, we're going to get, you know, food or going to the mall. It's not unusual just in that 30 minutes to an hour. Someone was like, you're that Moni guy. Can we take a picture yeah. together? So, morning. I, yeah. So I would say right. I probably have to revise it to Kong Lee. So I have mm. one follow-up question to this question. Um, who, since you talked about Pace and Ryan and Kong, the three great examples of people that have been in our phone for most of us for a long time and over the last three years have become very famous because of their following who is in your phone is next that you think is going to be that person who do you have in your phone that is the next famous person that's an interesting whether in this industry or not it's it's funny you ask that Leon, because the people I named off, Ryan Pineda, Max Maxwell, Pace Morby, Jamil Damji, I had their phone numbers before they became, quote unquote, famous. Um, and it, it is funny. It's like, who is that person? I hope it's someone on this panel. I, I really do. 
um, because I know how much hard work that we all put into elevating our game to their level. Um, so I, I hope it's someone on this panel. I wouldn't be surprised if it's CJ. Um, you know, uh, I, I had I had a conversation with Pace a couple of weeks ago right before I went to Vietnam. I was like, look, I love what you do, what you've done with your community. Tell me how you built your community. You know, give me like a, a roadmap. And then two days ago, I had a conversation with Chris Jefferson. Hey, look, I like what you're doing with Charged Up. Tell me, give me a roadmap to how you build it up. And, you know, the conversation, uh, you know, like, you know, Chris has a plan. Like he's not, this is not a hobby. This is not a side hustle. Chris has a plan. <laughs> no doubt. Right? So I would not be surprised if CJ is, is the next on my, in my phone. Well, I'll still pick up your call. All right, because you're, you're my guy. All right. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I, I think I, I think I say one of my students, one or two of my students, I got two students, man. Uh, shout out to Thabit. Shout out to Andre. Uh, you know, I'm trying to be intentional about giving them a platform, giving them a space to speak, uh, edifying them. Uh, they've got incredibly phenomenal stories, powerful voices that, that just have reach and impact. And, uh, I, you know, whether they become famous or not, I'm not sure. But uh, I think they deserve to be heard by more people. And uh, the things that they say and share um, truly are impactful. So, you know, I definitely would probably say them. I, I agree with I agree with everything that Steve said about CJ having the opportunity to finally meet him in person a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I, I, I totally agree. I'll give you two. I'm playing the long game with my son, Kai Barnes. Mark it down. That kid will be famous. I promise you that. You go, let me go on. Let me go on GoDaddy real quick. Hold on. Yeah, don't steal his name. Don't go on GoDaddy. <laughs> URL. Uh, the, second, the second is, um, like, like what, this triggered this when CJ said that one of his students, um, having somebody in our community, we have a lot of people that are really building their social following. Uh, we've got two in, in our, our select level group and Paul Sparks, who does a lot of great things with, with, with Steve. I think that kid is as smart as it comes in this industry and beyond. Um, and uh, Devin Robinson is another one that has a great following on social media that have taken what we've talked about when building social media brands. And they are they just have great personalities and are super smart. I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback off of what CJ just said real quick. I know we need to wrap up the question. Uh, it was yesterday's guest on Real Estate Disruptors, and he was my first one-on-one -on -one student, Tyson Smith. Um, kids, 24 years old. I mean, uh, super charismatic. Uh, during the podcast yesterday, I was blown away with moments where he just like took over, like grabbing the mic. You can feel the energy <laughs> coming off of him. He's already borderline a, a TikTok star. I mean, he goes live every day, closing deals. I think he's going to be one of those guys that really takes Oh, he's got a ton of potential. I like it. I think I think the bigger lesson real quick is if you have people like this in your phone now, nurture and warm and build the relationship, because as people grow, as people excel and evolve, their relationships and connections evolve with them and don't get left behind. Right. If you've got the opportunity to build relationships with people right now that you see that are on upward trajectories, uh, it's imperative to do so uh, because you can't be mad at anybody but yourself if you don't. And then, uh, you know, you're calling them like Steve and, you know, it's like, hey, I'll, I'll call you, you know, Pace is like, yeah, I'll call you in two weeks. Now, Pace, shout out <laughs> to my guy, Pace, even though my cousin at Bowen doesn't know him. All right. Uh, he, picks up, he picks up my call. So shout out to Pace. All right. Shout out to Pace. Yeah. CJ's ahead in the race. <laughs> he answers my calls, too. <laughs> is that Cassie in the background? <laughs> <laughs>
I think Potter, I swapped internet connections with Potter, man. He's just going to let us go. Yeah. Whenever you're ready, Potter, we'll wait <laughs> on you. He probably can't find the mute button, man. <laughs> Steve, you're going to transition us to the next one. Go ahead and name a winner. <laughs> the winner was definitely me. Yeah, it looks like they can't hear you. All right, so yeah, CJ. Uh, so Matt, if you guys can't hear Matt, he said I was the winner by far. He was going to give me five points or something along those lines. <laughs> uh, it was something like that. It was shocker. <laughs> All right, so uh, we'll when Matt's audio is working, we'll have him announce the winner. In the meantime, we'll just do a quick transition. So you know, um, we're able to find a new sponsor. The show today's uh, show is sponsored by uh, 10X TV. Uh, you want to get inbound leads calling you, get celebrity status in your market, look no further than Tony's 10X TV. He's been doing commercials to find consistent, motivated sellers for over a decade. It is one of the things that has allowed him to do over a 1,000 flips. He will help you use the proven TV commercial formula to get high-quality leads calling you and even set it up for you. Get in front of 10 times more people, 10 times faster, 10 times cheaper, with 10 times more credibility than any other marketing channel. Surprisingly, TV has little to no competition and you can get a steady flow of motivated seller leads. If you want to see why over 100 real estate investors use TV to run their TV commercials, go to tvwithtony.com to see if there's a spot available in your market. You back with us now yet, Matt? I think so. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Dang, that'll be hey. how RJ gets famous, 10X yeah. TV. Shout out to them. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, this is RJ. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, RJ. You're amazing, brother. We love you. All right. So it looks like they finally uh, fit, fixed my connection over here as I got kicked back to the closet because Steve's back. So up next, uh, with the indictment of Donald Trump this week as an entrepreneur, how do you make sure that you play within the limits since Steve gave himself apparently five points the last go around? <laughs> Steve, start us off. Uh, so, you know, if you guys have worked with me in the last 15 years, you know that I love the gray area. Um, I like to play in the area where you're between the dark gray, but never, never cross into black. There is a line there. So whenever there's a question, someone that's worked with me, say, hey, what do I do about the situation? Whenever they ask me a question that could be questionable, my response is always a phone call. And it's like, why the hell would you text me that? So the long answer to your question is nothing is ever in writing. Right. If we're trying to figure out how do we solve this problem, it's always a phone call. It's never a text or email. I've been on the other end of that phone call many times. <laughs> so I, I can I can definitely say he is speaking from experience. Uh all right, Leon, what about you? <laughs> all right. I'm gonna try to keep everyone from going to jail. Uh unlike Appreciate Steve. You. Uh, we're talking about how do we make sure that our team um, follows rules? And I've, I've talked about this several times on this podcast. I am good at a lot of things, but what I am not good at is lying, stealing, and cheating. Those, those are things that I stink at, so I don't do them. The best way to make sure that your team doesn't do those is just like any sporting event. Every sport has rules. It has a rule book. Make sure that your employees, has, they have procedures to follow 
And anything that does fall in that gray, as Steve mentioned, it goes through me or my partner. It does not just happen on their own. That's the gray area outside of that rule book. It's policies, it's procedures. You make sure that they follow those things. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. You know your local, just make sure that you know all of your local city and county rules and follow them. Simple as that. That's another vote for let's stay out of prison. I like this. This is good. All right. <laughs> RJ, of that. RJ, how are we staying out of the clink? Yeah, I'm going to go back to a, a book that I read. It's uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. I'm going to channel my inner CJ here. Shout out to my guy, Jim Collins. <laughs> Good book, but with a great concept in the hedgehog concept. Okay, so for us, it needs to be that we're going to have a hedgehog concept. We're going to stay laser focused on what we do and become a master at it. So then you're not trying to figure something out along the way. That's where I think you really get yourself in trouble. Um, for example, say you're a wholesaler right now and you see a podcast that says you should do novations and you don't know what a novation is. You probably shouldn't do that because that could get you in trouble. You should hire Eric Brewer to teach you how to do novations and then do it. Or just stay laser focused on wholesaling and selling on to CJ. <laughs> Fair enough. My man's got to wrap some properties. All right, CJ. What about you? How how are you keep how are you keeping us within the limits? Well, on, on par with the shout outs, man. Shout out to the Trump train. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if it went from coal to electric. I'm not sure what's happening, but uh, shout out to the Trump train. All right. Uh, look, I, whatever rule book Steve got when he became. A entrepreneur i didn't they never sent me the copy all right um I, I think the difficulty as an entrepreneur is that the responsibility is on you to know the black and white rules it's your it's your job to know how taxes work it's your job to know how regulations work it's your it's your job and so you know i learned a long time ago you know from one of my mentors that look if you end up with a tax problem the irs doesn't want to hear hey i didn't nobody told me right it's, it's your job to figure these things out i think a lot of times people get into business these things start like most of us as hobbies to get legs and they start moving and actually, you know, eventually, you know, turn into businesses. And I think the difficulty with that is along the lines, you don't pay attention sometimes to the rules and regulations of the game. And uh, nobody's going to let you call foul, you know, and or, or get a mulligan when you mess up and do something you're not supposed to. So learn from people that are experienced, get educated, read books, ask questions. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's important if you want to be in business and, and don't want to run into problems. Yeah. I think, um, there's, a someone that a few of us on the, on the panel knows is Joe Taylor, right? Someone out in Portland, super, like I look up to him, I respect the heck out of him. And there's, there's one thing that Joe and I have in common quite a bit is that we know every possible rule inside and out so that we won't get caught breaking the law. hundred percent. We know all the rules. <laughs> But that being said, we know exactly how to play within those rules to the edge. Like, we'll never do anything illegal. We'll never do anything unethical. We'll never, that will never happen. But we try our best to brainstorm to figure out how close we can get to that line without crossing it. I read the, I read the indictment. And that, that, what you just said, is exactly what Trump said to Cohen that made him go get a HELOC on his home because he didn't have the cash and front it for Trump. And now look at these guys, man. Shout out to the electric trunk train, man. 
The reason why you don't have any points today is because you just keep mirroring everything I say word for word. You yeah, should be right. indicted for plagiarism on your effort today. <laughs> what are you, Chat GBT, man? Look, I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Uh, I, I think we could all agree that your influence, all right, comes from me. And, uh, and, 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 and that's all right, man. That's all right, man. I'm, I'm here to help, man. I'm here to help. Give me a shout out at the end of this rant. Shout out to RJ base the third. Man. Make sure to respect the third, man. Put respect on the third. Oh, man, that that's amazing. Um, just because of the fact that I've been on the other line, I'm going to give Steve a point. Um, Actually, I'm going to give everybody a point in this round. So just, just so that I can tell, just so that CJ's got points, so that RJ can't sit there and talk trash. Leon's over there. He's doing, like, jaw exercises right now. I don't know what's going on with that. So He's biting his tongue. Oh, is that what he's doing? I, I was. Oh, okay. I think there's some judgment over there. So it sounds nah, like everybody... Leon, I, Leon, I saw it, too. I saw it, too. I saw it, too. It, I know what's going on, Leon. I know what's going my on man, here, man. My man, uh, you, you're a judge, and you're just giving yeah, points well, away like hey, Tic Tacs. Manny, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going I'm to need you to go ahead and remove Leon's points. Um, <laughs> there we go. All right, question number five. Let's bring it home. Let's bring it home strong here. We're on the back end. With all the remote work and empty commercial buildings in the city of San Francisco, if you were the mayor, how would you fix this problem? We're going to start with you, Leon. So um, in the 1980s, I saw this in Kansas City, Missouri. Downtown Kansas City, Missouri was a place that you did not want to go. Um, a lot of abandoned commercial buildings, and it wasn't because of COVID. It wasn't because of anything other than people moved out to the new suburbs of the Kansas City Metro on the Kansas side and the Missouri side. Both, uh, both develop, were developing outside of the downtown area. And over time, they started to realize that in order for this to be a true major league city, we have to invest back in a downtown area. It talked about ballparks and sports, things of, of that nature. And they started offering the mayor um, and the district started offering incentives for developers to come in and take those old buildings and turn them into things that would attract people. Now at the World Cup, the Super Bowl, anytime you see uh, a video, live shots from Kansas City, it's from a district called the Power and Light. And that was that came on national broadcast. I was listening on YouTube. So you want me to pick it up from there? If you can, if you remember what you said. Absolutely, I remember what I said. Are we, he uh, always has are we live? Notes. Come on now. You tell me when. We're back. All right. So we had technical difficulties there. We're back now. So what I was, before I was interrupted, what I was saying <laughs> is that in Kansas City, uh, there were incentives given. They created a district called the Power and Light. And anytime you see a World Cup or any event for Super Bowl, what have you, generally it's right by the arena and the Power and Light district. And it started with incentives given to developers to turn those old buildings into condos, apartments, what have you. And there were things that drew people to that uh, specific area. Ding, ding. All right, RJ. What about you, boss? Man question is so adorable and i'm so glad you asked it uh 
first and foremost, I would not be the mayor of San Francisco, California, because I'm a Republican. So I, <laughs> I just wouldn't have been elected. Okay. <laughs> well, let's just say they come to their senses and they, they do elect me as mayor of San Francisco. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to call the mayor of Oakland and I'm going to say, hey, we really need to like clean up the crime problem that we have. So that's going to be step number one, because if you have a worse crime rate in L.A. and New York and specifically property crime, you should probably clean that up. So let's start there. The next thing is imagine if there was a group of people out there that specialized in taking vacant distressed properties and you could come up with programs to incentivize them to fix this problem for you. For example, real estate investors with a program that maybe incentivizes them on less taxes that they have to pay, like the 1031 exchange. Oh my God, is that the thing that the Democrats are wanting to get rid of? Hmm, these are the things that need to happen. Just like Leon said, incentivize the people to come in and revitalize the vacant distressed properties, whether they're converting it to multifamily or just revitalizing it to a new part of downtown for commercial or retail or whatever. There needs to be an incentive package to real estate investors to come in and fix your fuck-ups. There's, there's RJ Bates, always good for uh, ratings. <laughs> All right, CJ, what, what are your thoughts? Go ahead and slide in with your uh, electric train over there. What you got? Yeah, I mean, those are interesting Trump points right there. But look, uh, I'll, just give, I'll give the right answer here. Uh, and, and I guess RJ said it the other week. Uh, I'm probably the only person on this panel that could have a future in politics because nobody knows the obvious answer. You're talking about one of the most expensive housing uh, cities in the entire country. And you have a plethora of vacant office buildings in a commercial industry that is getting ready to take an insane amount of hits over the next couple of years. I think the easy, obvious answer is providing quality, affordable housing and repurposing some of these buildings and giving subsidies to developers so they can provide said housing and still turn or make a profit potentially and not go into desperate ruin that many of them will face if you're following the information about the commercial industry right now. And so if I was mayor, I would try to create some incentives, whether it's state, federally funded, that could get some money to developers to repurpose some of these buildings. Because let's face it, right? Like they're trying to get people back to work right now and it's not working, right? People aren't, people don't want to go back to work in a post COVID society. So what are they saying? Hey, at least do two days out of the week, right? And you have all these landlords that are getting uh, leases torn up by all these huge fortune 500 companies. That's going to start trickling down to small businesses, create incentives and subsidies that can help people repurpose some of these buildings, create some affordable housing in some of these localities that people can't afford to live in right now. Uh, and before the Republican RJ chimes in, post my answer, uh, affordable, it, I don't know how much you read uh, over there, all right? But affordability doesn't mean low income, all right? Affordable housing, all right, is generally the median area, or median income for that particular locality. Uh, so this isn't like Section 8 and this, that, and the third. All right, this is affordable housing for people that want to live, work, and play in a place like San Francisco, uh, but can't afford to. And I do think that crime obviously needs to be addressed as well. Uh, but we're talking about commercial property at the end of the day. All right. All right. All right. Let's give Steve a chance here. All right, Steve, chime in. How are we fixing San Fran? 
I think <clears throat> I think it's pretty simple. Um, I don't think we really need to provide a bunch of incentives. San Francisco a be- was a very beautiful city, right? Uh, you go there, you visit. It's you're in awe as you're crossing the bridge to visit it. The weather is one of the best in the world. It is a very desirable area. You don't need to incentivize people to go there. You just need to create conditions where people aren't afraid to be there. So I think it's a matter of just cleaning up the crime and enforcing the laws. I think that's really all it comes down to, right? People will invest if they feel safe there. You know, you read some of these employees, like, the, or, or, or businesses closing. It's like, I had to close that location because my employees didn't feel safe going to work. And you look at just, you know, at an international level, there's reasons why we won't invest in certain parts of the world. It's because there's no guarantee that if I invest in that part of the world, that my re- I will have a return on my investment. If they can create some sort of stability, some sort of sanity that if I invest over here, you guys aren't going to try to, you know, uh, tax me more. Like, not tax me the same, just try to tax me more and so on. I think you can create conditions where people will be wanting to invest within San Francisco. Chap it up. There's never been a more incorrect answer than CJ's answer. (laughs) (laughs) How is providing affordable housing going to clean up the vacant commercial buildings? We're, what do you we're mean? talking about the fact that no one wants, think about what you're asking right now. How no are you going to clean up? work there because the companies in San Francisco tell them to work from home because of the crime. So you yeah, want to go yeah. provide no, that's, affordable that's housing not. that fixes this? No, crime is part of the issue. All right. I, I would argue it's the biggest part of the issue, though. All right. It could it could be the biggest part of the issue. What funds police departments? Can somebody tell me? Taxes. Exactly. So if you get more people in the locality who are paying more in taxes... How do you think the police force then gets more money to be a better police force and better fight crime? How do you accomplish well, that? Well, I would argue, again, going back, just because of San Francisco, right? Like, they can fund the police department if they wanted to fund the, the police department. Fact. I think that there's a challenge here, right? And I'm only picking on San Francisco because I've been there. Like, I remember I was in San Francisco for a conference uh, back in 2009, Right. And they're like, hey, you know, we're hanging out over here. You want to come hang out? And I just happened to walk into a Democratic fundraiser and I was listening to the conversations and I was blown away by the things that are said in private. These aren't the things that are said in public. I was blown away by the kind of uh, conversations that were being held in private. So I think you have to have a certain desire to, uh, to, to I don't know, be a little bit more uh, empathetic. Uh, to people that actually want to make a profit. I think that's probably... You know, but, you know, the, one of the best ways to stop crime, I mean, you guys have read Malcolm Gladwell. You've heard of the bro- broken glass theory. Mm-hmm. The first time that in the 1980s when crime was horrible uh, in New York, was one of the first things they did? They cleaned up the city. They got rid of... Um, they made sure all the trains didn't have graffiti on them. They wanted to make sure that nothing had broken glass. The best way to do that is to incentivize, whether it's affordable homes or conversions to apartments, what have you, is to incentivize developers, to RJ's point, to go in and revitalize those particular areas. I haven't been to San Francisco in a long time, but the new arena, where the new arena they built, there's development opportunity. Last time Charles Barkley was down there for the, for the NBA Finals, we all hopefully heard what he said. You know, He had to get through all the homeless people in order to get to the set. So, you know, to my point earlier about Kansas City and the Power and Light District is they found they had to have something. 
that they could build around. You can now build around that brand new arena, but it's going to take some incentive to be able to do that, to get rid of the blight, to drive out some of that crime. CJ. Oh, real quick. Hold on. I got one last thing to say. On this. CJ, have you ever been, you ever been to San Francisco Junior? That's Austin, Texas. That's where all the people from San Francisco moved. They went to Austin and they're doing the exact same thing there. Crime has increased. All the prices are through the roof. Commercial buildings are now empty because it's, it's all based around the companies are saying, we can't have a business here because of the property crime that's going on. Hey, Chris, Please. we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be snarky with each other, not with the audience. Leave the audience alone, Chris. No, shout out to shout out to Noah. Yeah, Fantasyland is working pretty well for me for sure. <laughs> Let's focus uh, on the ones on the screen account. here, Chris. Uh -oh. no, shout, out, shout out to my bank account. But no, listen, I, I think I think we're all no seriously. Shout out to my bank account. Seriously, uh, it's a nice fantasy to live in. But uh, all I, all I'm saying is this: I'm not saying that you guys are wrong, but I'm saying housing is a part of revitalization. Right. It is. It, yeah. Housing is, is a fundamental part of revitalization. I'm not saying every single building that's a commercial vacant unit has to be an affordable unit. I'm saying it simply could be a part of that particular plan and should have some priority there as well, because crime occurs when you have these vacancies, when you have empty districts, when you have empty places. All right. That you have these large buildings, you have multiple plots of land parcels that are in tight density and they're vacant. And so you have people who then are homeless, you have people that are then running around the neighborhood and you don't have other people there. And so there's not even an intention from the police force to even patrol some of these areas as well as they should be. If people were living there, if people were working there, if the area was revitalized to Leon's point and people were living, working and playing in a particular area or district, it's going to have more intention from city government to be more patrolled, to be more secured. And these types of things would be fixed. I don't think that's difficult to understand. Hey, Chris, I'm with you on affordable housing. I think affordable housing is absolutely critical. I would just put San Francisco as not ever going to be a part of the affordable housing conversation, right? Like, well, I mean, affordable for San Francisco. I don't mean, yeah, yeah. you know, where I live the, at, where you live. I'm, I'm saying in the, in the context of San Francisco. Yeah. All right. So that one um, went exactly how I anticipated it would. So congratulations, guys. Um, and even though he was biting his tongue the last go round, the most encompassing answer came from Leon G. Barnes, who is going to be awarded the point. That no, let's round. give everyone points again. No. All right. Take away Steve's points. Um, <laughs> all right. La last question. This one comes from our audience and Steve's not allowed to participate. So with a declining economy, what's the best advice for wholesalers to prepare and survive business wise? during the upcoming economic dip and job losses. Start us off, Leon. This is something that we talk a lot about um, in both our premier group and our select group. Uh, we saw that change uh, in the marketplace almost a year to the date uh, where Phoenix and Salt Lake and San Diego saw uh, underwriting changes immediately. And you have to be fast to react. Um, first and foremost, uh, and you have to make sure that you are lean and mean um, moving forward. When times were great, the last five, six years, we didn't, those people that just got into this business over the last few years, you've never seen a downturn until last year. So you could try things out and lose money and be okay. 
this is a time for making sure that you are um, maximizing every single hour of the day with the team that you have. You're being as efficient as possible and not going and trying things uh, as this market continues. Like we still believe that we have not hit bottom. We talked about gas prices for the foreseeable future. Things, um, you know, will more than likely for the rest of this year not get better. So make sure that you're uh, watching every single dollar and uh, allowing yourself not to indulge in chasing what others are doing. Stay true to what your goals are. True to you. All right. RJ, what about you? What's your best advice? Yeah, shout out to the U for opening up its new headquarters on Pier 39. Uh, (laughs) No, listen, if you're a wholesaler right now, I think first and foremost, go through your expenses. Look at the systems that you've subscribed to. Make sure you're actually using those and that they are providing a return on investment for you. Uh, Because, listen, we live in a shiny object uh, culture where every different person with YouTube or Instagram is telling you to sign up using uh, some affiliate link. So make sure that whatever you are subscribed to, you're using and it's working well. And then from there, refine two skills, how to underwrite a deal, truly how to underwrite a deal. And then second, how to close deals, how to actually buy at a discount. So you're providing value to your cash buyers with both equity and the ability to cash flow. I think that's what's going to get you through to this because the majority of wholesalers lack those two skill sets. All right, CJ, uh, coming to us live from Pier 39. What you got, boss? Now it's a beautiful day. Is it just me or does, does RJ have a teleprompter over there? <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, Running for office. Nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless uh, if you're a wholesaler right now in this economy, I think you got to be doing a couple of things. I think you got to know who are the top five buyers in your market that buy the most consistently and exactly what their buy box looks like. And I think you need to be intentionally serving them right now in this market and the foreseeable future. I think you need to be putting an emphasis on your education and figuring out how you can purchase properties with non-guaranteed debt using creative uh, creative strategies. I think you need to also be taking a look at your business and figuring out how to lean it out for the for 2016 to 2020, uh, all wholesale marketing uh, for courses, education, masterminds, everything was about who could have the biggest sales team, who could do the most deals, this, that, and the third. Those people are the people that are having problems right this second, even if they're not going to tell you that. All right. You need to have a lean team. You really don't need more than three or four closers to run a seven-figure business. Uh, make sure you got your business structured the right way. Uh, make sure you know your best buyers and make sure you're learning how you can pick up in a downturn uh, you know, uh, quality properties at a deep discount uh, with great negotiation skills that doesn't have PG debt on them. Very nice. Very nice. All right, Steve, what about you? So I think step one, you got to be informed and you get that by watching part of the disruption. Clearly. Right? Uh, step two, there's a great book, uh, Anti-Fragile, I read very recently, and it talks about like how to thrive in a good market and a bad market, right? You got to be prepared. And I think part of that also goes back to what RJ and Leon said a moment ago about making sure you're running a lean operation. Right, making sure you run a very lean operation, uh, tracking you know ROI for everything you're spending on, uh, and I think the third thing is you know you need to be part of a tribe. If you try to do this by yourself, it's going to be really hard. You can't thrive by yourself. So I'm in collective genius with Leon. Right, he's the uh, membership ambassador. Uh, Chris Jefferson, right, he runs a great community, charged up. Uh, 
RJ. He's got titanium something, this, that, and a third. Um, <laughs> right? No, but seriously, like RJ, RJ, right? I, I have nothing but incredible respect for RJ. So I think, you know, if you're part of, you know, going to a Crucible event or, you know, uh, checking out what he's got going on, or, you know, we have what we're doing. You know, we have our mentorship program and this and that. So I would just say, be informed. And again, I think the show is great for that. But also, you know, there are other sources out there. Um, and run a lean operation and find a tribe. Don't try to figure out how to do this by yourself. Let me give two additional things that came from those answers uh, that we've talked about before. And I think this is super important right now for those wholesalers that are, you know, maybe running, already running lean. So number one is you got to get really good great at finding off-market deals that are for free. I'm talking about relationships with agents that can't move properties, driving for dollars. Get really good at driving down your cost per acquisition. It's super important right now. The second piece is, CJ and I have talked about this many a times with Eric Brewer on Novations. Just because you are a quote-unquote wholesaler doesn't mean that in your state, or in your market, you can't find ways to get deals to the best buyers list you're going to find the MLS. Those two things, if you work on finding deals that don't cost you much and you can figure out a way to get deals to the MLS right now and for the foreseeable future are great ways to save to save money and make more. Hey, Potter, real quick, Leon just had a great point and just – I don't want you to make the mistake of giving him the point on this one because in the same episode in which we talked about gas prices going up, he literally said you could get deals for free by driving for dollars. Duly noted. CJ, every time you say this, that, and the third, is that a shout out to me? Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, no, nice. it's, it's, yeah, it's just my acknowledgement that you know, there's not very many thirds around the world and you guys don't get enough recognition because, you know, you just don't do too great of a job at everything. And so I want to make sure if nothing else that the U family and on behalf of the U family that charged up, we make sure that we recognize you. This, that, and the third at all times. RJ, touche, my friend. Last week or two weeks ago, I said that Eric Brewer was the best trash talker and that you needed to step your game up. And if you're going to get there, that was the best comeback I think you may have had ever on this show. Yeah, Leon, he got that off the teleprompter, bro. He's got ChatGPT running his teleprompter. It's fantastic. <laughs> Cassie in the background went, got the IFB going into his right. ear. <laughs> now nah, she's just back there holding cue cards. Uh, that's what's not, going not on. Not even back a cue card, bro. It's cardboard sign with Sharpie marker on it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they got that from downtown Austin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. That, that was an absolutely fantastic round. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give this one to RJ just because, yeah, he came with the smack on it. He did. So RJ Bates is going to be our winner today. But I got five points that one round. And no, that was when they, that's <laughs> when you cut off my audio. So I couldn't tell you that your answer was the worst in PTD history. Oh. There's a difference. Oh. So um, that being said, we have had a blast today. Um <laughs> It has it has been everything I was really hoping that it would be. Some good fun banter and some really good insightful 
thoughts. I hope that you guys enjoyed the show as much as we did having it, minus all the audio issues. We blame Steve for that. Before we, we leave, Steve? I think we probably did. Uh, no, we didn't listen. Pictured, I just pictured RJ at the ice <laughs> hockey rink. Please don't. With his, with his ice skates on, talking to these <laughs> two random famous hockey players in his phone. Tell him that he won part in the disruption today, just talking out of his ass. So that, he's going to. <laughs> he's going to. He's going to be like, let me call my boy, my boy over at the U. Hold on. <laughs> All right. Before we take off, everybody go ahead and do your outro. RJ, start us off. Yeah, man. So uh, I texted my cousin here a little bit ago. Asked them if they knew who the hell Chris Jefferson was. <laughs> he said, Who the hell is that fool? Uh, but hey, real talk though, shout out to San Francisco. I can't wait on that affordable housing out there. That's going to be amazing. Um, I'm excited to take the, the crown today. I'm used to winning. Uh, again, you can find my podcast, The Titanium Vault. I have amazing guests on there like Leon G. Barnes, Steve Trang. Chris Jefferson paid me to be on there. Nobody knows that. He's the only guest who actually paid me. But uh, enjoy today's episode. (laughs) Absolutely outstanding. All right, CJ, send us off from the U. Yeah, man. Shout out to the U family, man. Shout out to everybody who participated today. Uh, Not in voting because it doesn't matter anymore. uh, But in the panel and Potter as, uh, as a judge, Mr. Double Gates himself. Uh, always fun to hang out with you guys for an hour or so uh, each week, have connection and audio issues, and uh, just an overall good time uh, talking trash, man. So uh, always a pleasure and looking forward to next week as well. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Leon, what about you? All right, Leon G. Barnes with the Collective Genius. Uh, Steve talked about community. If you're doing two, three, four deals a month and up, Check us out. Uh, learn more about CG.com. Uh, I had a blast, as always. Uh, week off last week and excited to get back here. And uh, this is always a great time. I had another great time yesterday with, uh, with RJ on his podcast. You get a chance to check that out. We had a lot of fun, and I went back and watched some of his other ones. They were terrible compared to mine, but <laughs> mine will be out next week, I believe. All, all about elevating those around you. We appreciate you, Leon. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Steve, send, Everybody send us with off. Me. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's been a full month since the last time I was on the show, and I forgot how much fun this is. So, you know, I appreciate, you know, everyone here taking time out of your busy schedule to jump on the show. Matt, for hosting it. Everyone for watching. And, yeah, I mean, I look forward to this every single week. It's so much fun. And uh, looking forward to, do, to doing this again next week. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We will see you next Thursday. Hope that you guys have an amazing week.